All right, so my name's Dustin. Um, I'm one of the small group leaders here at River City Church. So um, I'm very excited to be here. Um, my wife and I, Caitlin, sits right here. She might have seen her um, kind of greeting people as you walked in. Uh, my wife and I have uh, moved here to Dubuque about 11 months ago, and one of the main reasons we did that was to be a part of what God's doing here through River City Church. And uh, so, yeah, um, it's really been quite um, a ride for us in these last 11 months, um, but it's led us to this point, and I'm excited now to be here um, being asked to preach to you guys, and that's a complete honor. That's not something that I necessarily expected, maybe, at to this point. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to trust this morning that whatever God desires for us to hear is what he's going to teach us, and we'll, we'll go from there. So currently, um, I work as a performance engineer for Anderson Windows and Doors. So Anderson's a really big window and door manufacturer, some of the largest in, the, in North America. Um, and actually, uh, to that end, I moved to Dubuque and took a job with Anderson leaving Pella Windows and Doors, which is their biggest competitor. So that was very fun. I worked for four, or three years with Pella, and now I'm approaching a year with Anderson. And so, yes, I've spent four years working in the window and door industry. You guys got to think, wow, that's got to be something special. It's like a square box. There's glass. So really, the funny thing is, is I, I spend my life building things that people look through, not at. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, they really, really respect the, the craftsmanship. But if you know me, you've probably, like, caught me in your house, like, like examining the intricacies of your windows and doors, seeing, oh, that's interesting how they did that. Um, I now look at windows and not through them. So that's just kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, so, what does a day as a window engineer look like? Thanks for asking. I knew you were asking that. I knew you were going. I knew that that's what you were thinking next. Oh, I bet that's an interesting day. Well, basically, um, basically, I support an assembly line that makes sliding patio doors. So the big patio doors that you have going out into your deck. That's what my assembly line makes. So I'm responsible for the improvement of um, efficiency items, quality items, making that product more cost-effective to make while making it easier to make for the employees that are actually building it every day. So that's really what my day looks like. I work with a, new, a number of people, people that, you know, whether they're... Um, operations management or associate level workers. I work with quality personnel, IT personnel to help drive improvement in those specific areas that either whether it's something that popped up immediately and it's an immediate need or it's a longer term project that's trying to reduce cost for the company. So that's kind of what my responsibilities are. So um, I'm sure everyone would like to continue to hear about my job, but I, uh, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll spare you that for now. But really, I mean, the main purpose I share those things is not to give my resume up in front of you guys, but just to give you a little bit of background from where I'm coming as I get the opportunity to share um, what God's put on my heart in regards to this passage that we're going to be studying. So, so far... Uh, 
During the last few weeks in Ephesians, um, we've been studying a number of relationships and how God intended the purpose of those relationships. So at the heart of all of these instructions is a call to reflect the gospel in each of these relationships. So a couple weeks ago, Brandon uh, took some time to speak on the marriage relationship, the relationship between the husband and the wife. Um, Aaron, last week, uh, took some time to talk about parents and children and how, that, how, how you reflect God in that relationship. Uh, this week, I get the honor of talking about um, the working relationship, the employee-employer relationship. So uh, these are some like three main relationships that we all deal with on a regular basis. For the most of us, we have jobs. That's how we live our lives. That's how we get paid. That's how we kind of pay our bills and make, make it through life, you know? So um, it's a really applicable um, relationship for us to study this morning. So in this passage... The Apostle Paul lays out for us God's intentions for our working relationships. He urges us, out of reverence for Christ, work unto him whether you are an employee or an employer. So out of reverence for Christ, work unto him whether you are an employee or an employer. So in order to understand the context of this passage, I was struggling a little bit because I was like, okay, um, we'll get there, but uh, the language that's used in this passage is like slave and master. It's not written employee, employer, okay? So just a heads up, that's where we're going. But I wanted to understand, okay, what is a slave, you know? Why why can I take this passage and apply it to my work life? I, I wasn't really sure. So... Um, when I looked into the word slave specifically, um, many times when we hear the word slave, we're, as Americans especially, we're reminded of like 19th century American slavery, right? That's like where our head goes. We hear the word slave, we think of brutality, we think of, of involuntary slavery of someone that has, a master has ownership over someone, that they actually are belong, like belong to that person, um, A more typical interpretation of this word, though, especially in the New Testament, is actually more of a limited version of slavery, meaning um, it's much more of a voluntary servanthood. So it's more of a, I need to get out of poverty, or I need to repay a debt, or um, I'm trying to gain social status. So people actually go into a, a voluntary mode of servanthood, um, to achieve those things. It's a usually a, a, for a time towards the end of freedom. So it's not an infinite amount of never-ending slavery. It's kind of what I came to find. So this actually, you know, helps me to understand that, oh, well, that's like working. I mean, I'm voluntarily, you know, attending a a job or showing up to a job, and I'm working towards maybe paying debt, maybe, um, you know, paying bills or whatever it might be, but it's towards the end of freedom one day. You know, it's, it's, I'm just working towards that to support my family. So culturally today, 
We work for an employer for a paycheck that helps us pay debt, escape poverty, and so on. So as I thought about the culture um, that we live and work in, there's some things that come to mind. So the culture that we all are a part of today is maybe a little bit different than where we're heading in this passage. But work is a mental and physical effort given in order to achieve a purpose or result. So work is a mental and physical effort given in order to achieve a purpose or result. Our culture puts a high amount of value on results. So if you work in, a, in any sort of professional field, like results are expected. If you're not getting results, most likely you're not doing your job. Okay? So that's kind of our culture's view of it. The way in which we get to the result is often not the focus. So the way that we, the, in which we get to the result is often not the focus. This can lead to a mentality of getting results at all costs, regardless of what stands in our way. So whether that is a timeline, whether that's the number of resources, the number of hours, um, you know, results regardless of what gets in our way. It's kind of the, the way our culture thinks. Companies are often more concerned with how much profit margin they have, more so than the margin that they have in their structures for their people to flourish. So that's often more of the focus. Working is a way of achieving status within a company or in life according to how much power or responsibility is given and how much we are paid for that effort. So our culture says you're more valuable if you are able to achieve more in your career, if you are able to outperform others around you, if you get paid more than other people. That also, in turn, kind of sparks this like desire to find status in your everyday life because now I have more money, I can kind of show that, and now I, everyone knows that I have more status, I have more power. So for many people that work, it's just a means of financially supporting a family, your hobbies, your vacations. Um, it's like this means to pursuing the American dream. That's kind of the culture we live in. So unfortunately, for most of us at work, that's actually where we spend most of our time. So if that's the culture that we live in, to a certain extent, and we work 8, 9, 10, 11 hours a day at times, that is a large amount of time to be spending in that culture and around all of that. Um, so, like, it's very easy to be tempted. I, I know, so just, I'm fairly young in my career, four years. It seems like a decent amount to me, like it's gone really fast, but in the large scheme of things, that's not a lot of time. Um, but it's tempting as you get into things and get into high-stress situations to make decisions um, and priorities based on what's best for me to get a step ahead. So if I want to be, if I want to look good, if I want to be noticed for the things I'm doing, sometimes it's easy to make decisions or prioritize things in a way that makes me look like I get a step ahead. Um, it's easy to get caught maybe complaining about other people's performances. 
Um, I know that that's something that really stands out to me is like, whether it's other people around you or even getting caught up into it yourself is like, oh man, I really wish that this person would have done that or so on and so forth. Um, So to get caught up in doing your best, like we get caught up in doing our best to make ourselves look good even at the expense of others. So I'm going to kind of take this blame that's maybe being pointed in my direction and somehow like step aside of it and shift it to someone else. You know, oh, this circumstance or this person didn't allow me to do this, that, or the other thing. So because we spend crazy amounts of times at our jobs, um, this is why the relationships at work are so crucial to our testimony and the way that we reflect Christ on a daily basis. It's only through his leadership that we can make strides and live in counter-cultural lives at work. So um, with that, let's take a look at the passage this morning to see what, the truth, what truth Paul has for us in regards to reflecting Christ daily in our jobs. We'll read the passage and then we'll pray. So we're going to be uh, studying Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor and win their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Father, um, I just ask that this, this scripture this morning would just speak to our hearts. Um, we come from many different backgrounds, many different jobs, many different focuses, and lots of different skill sets resembled in this room. Um, only you know where we're all at. Um, only you know uh, how we can continue to grow as we represent you in the workplace. So please, God, um, use my words not um, for any other purpose but to make your glory known and uh, to build your kingdom here in Dubuque. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, for this passage to have meaning to us, on a personal level, we need to have an understanding of what it means to be slaves of Christ. So what does it mean to be slaves of Christ? For example, in verse 6, specifically, it says, But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Last week, Aaron talked um, about um, how it's good for us to fall under the authority of a perfect father. So it's good for us to fall under the authority of a perfect father. This week, we look, at and look to see how Christ is a perfect master. Uh, 
He's a perfect master who can trust, who we can trust our lives with. So if any of you were at the marriage seminar yesterday, um, Becky actually shared this passage, and I, it stood out to me, and it was just, it's a really good passage for understanding, you know, what it means to be a slave of Christ, or kind of giving some framework behind the mindset of Christ. So Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, um, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus shows us a really crucial example here. Um, that he submitted himself to his father's leadership as a servant. That he would, as God, come be man and submit himself to his father's leadership as a servant. So it is through the leadership that Jesus displays on earth to his father as a servant um, that um, eventually the father ends up exalting him to the highest place. So it's through his servanthood leadership here on earth that the Father exalts Jesus to the highest place, making him the name above all names. Philippians goes on to say that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee, every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, that he is master. It is in our absolute need... For, our be- for a better and perfect master that we choose to submit to Jesus as that master. So it's in our absolute need for a better and perfect master that we choose to submit to Jesus as that master. We literally become slaves to Christ in our need to have a master that first served us. It is out of reverence for Christ in this way that we desire to work unto him. This truth about Jesus shapes our understanding of the work relationships being discussed in Ephesians 6. Verse 5 starts out examining the employee relationship and how his or her employer, like between the employee and his or her employer. Let's take a look um, to begin to see how we can work unto Christ as an employee. The first Paul writes, Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. So slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. Respect. So respect is, um, is to regard someone as being worthy of admiration because of good qualities to regard someone as being worthy of admiration because of good qualities. Fear, um, in this case, is not the fear of, like, I'm terrified, like, I'm scared, I'm running, I don't, you know, that's not the fear that's mentioned here. It's more of a generally positive reverence for someone. So it's more of a general positive reverence for someone. Um, This fear actually causes a productive response rather than, like, a, 
retreating response. So it's a, it's a fear that causes a productive response because this fear drives a helpful desire to not displease the one that you are fearful of. So that's kind of where that fear stems from. Sincerity of heart has to do with serving with integrity and honest motives. So one commentator writes that um, serving wholeheartedly without hypocrisy or ulterior motives. So in terms of sincerity of heart, serving without hypocrisy or ulterior ulterior motives. A lot of times, um, I think it's easy for us to get caught up in, oh, you're asking me to do this, or blah, blah, blah. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. You know, like, I'll, I'll just make it a point to, like, do this quickly or prove you wrong or whatever. I've got ulterior motives to kind of put myself above you or whatever. So there's, it's easy to get caught up in how serving can actually be used to manipulate or do something in a different direction than what it was actually intended for. <clears throat> Unfortunately, though, not all masters or employers um, are easy to respect. So unfortunately, they're not all easy to respect. Um, if that were the case, many jobs would be much easier and straightforward to work in a way that reflects Christ. But that's not really the world that we live in. So what happens when your employer lacks good qualities? So if respect is to, um, if respect is to uh, regard someone of being worthy because they have good qualities, what happens when that person doesn't seem to have good qualities? What if you have this strong feeling that your employer is not worthy of admiration? What if you don't respect them in that way? So I'm I'm sure everyone here, um, if you've worked any job, you've experienced frustrating supervisors or employers that do not quite qualify according to your point of view, that they are worthy of admiration in your book. This is why we have our motivation from Christ at the end of verse 5. That's why we have the motivation from Christ at the end of verse 5. So I kind of stop short in verse 5. So slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ just as you would obey Christ. So, um, I'm not going to lie. Like, personally right now, I've been struggling at work. Like, it's probably been the most stressful, frustrating time I've ever had working anywhere. Um, It's been very difficult for me um, because of the pressures that are thrown my way and the pressures are just thrown at our team's way in general, um, and really at our whole facility at Dubu- in Dubuque. Um, it's been a really difficult project. So when I started here, um, you know, in general, I've been very impressed with Anderson. I've been very impressed with um, my engineering team, um, my boss. I've enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, when I started on, there was this exciting project called Multiglide. So it's a big new product um, development project where we were launching a whole new um, massive sliding door 
that has multiple panels that can take up the whole wall of a room, basically. Um, but with this has come a really tight timeline, and with a tight timeline has come a very uh, a need to have quick response to rapid moving tasks. It also means that when stresses are high, that people are often a little more difficult to work with. So I've never really had to respond to tasks in such a rapid, way, a rapid way from multiple directions like I've been asked to recently. Um, and this, this has caused me to really fall down in a lot of ways. Like, I'm not, that's not necessarily my strength. If you know me, I'm not this, like, uber-detailed task guy. I'm not really that. I'm a... I'm a front-end, big-picture, set trajectory, get people bought in, pitch the vision. Like, that's who I am. So as the project was in its infancy, I was excited. I was, I was really moving. But then as things become more and more detailed is when I start to have to work harder in order to actually keep up with those things. So I haven't been measuring up to my expectations of my boss. That's been happening, and we've been, we've been talking about that. Um, so I think where I'm at now is like, God's really been trying to teach me in this moment because it's very, it's something I've never experienced before, but it'd be easy for me to start making excuses. It'd be easy for me to start trying to bring other people down with me that I could point out flaws. I could Say that, that's not my fault. I could shift blame. That's what I could do. Um, but at what cost? You know? Um, that would completely disrupt my testimony at work. I would lose credibility with coworkers. So one story um, actually just happened because of how stressful things have been for me. And, you know, Friday was a pretty rough day at work. Um, but I also know that, like, it's not all on me, you know. And I can't try to make that. And I can't try to feel that it's all on me. And I needed support. So um, I actually texted up Andy and Mike, who are here in this room, actually, um, that I work with closely at Anderson and said, I really need to get lunch with you guys. I really need to talk about things that are going on at work, because they didn't know. They didn't know that I was struggling. They didn't know um, to the extent in which I was falling down, you know? So we went out, and I shared those things with them. And um, I think it was just, it was surprising to all of us, but um, I think what my intent was there was to not... Um, get caught up in venting so much. I think, you know, it's hard not to. But I needed help. I needed accountability. I needed people that knew where I was coming from to pray for me and to be there with me and to help me in terms of wisdom and understanding of how to address the situation. And uh, I could just, like, build up with pride and say, I, I got this. I can do it. Like, I'm going to move forward. No one needs to know about this. No one needs to know that I'm failing. No one needs to know that I'm not really meeting certain expectations. But they needed to know. 
Because how am I supposed to let them into my life if they don't? And that was awesome. We spent time praying together and asking God to, to give wisdom and direction in the midst of the situation. And that was a that was a moment for us to address this together in community. It was a moment for us to really truly depend on our true master's leadership. So one pastor says it this way, you can work for fools because your true master once served you while you were fools. You can work for fools because your true master once served you while you were fools. We were fools. We rejected him. We didn't care about his achievements. We didn't care all the things that he did for us. We didn't care about his example. But yet Christ came in the form of man and served us when we rejected him and we were fools. So certainly we can serve fools as well. I think that's really hard to like actually understand. Like, wow. It doesn't it's not dependent on the performance of other people whether I should respect them or not. It's not dependent on the performance of my company or other people as to whether I should make much of them or not, whether I should submit to them or not, whether I should work wholeheartedly or not. So verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So the struggle here for many of us comes in one of two ways. We either tend to be people that um, underwork, or we tend to be people that overwork. So our natural response is to either be people that underwork or we're people that overwork. Um, So the beauty here, though, is that the same truth cures both of these tendencies. One pastor explains how our identity found in the right place, our identity as slaves of Christ, cures both underwork and overwork problems. So it's the same solution. So we will not waste time, we will not work lazily, when, our, when we are truly motivated to work out our reverence, or to work out of reverence to our true and perfect master. So we will not work lazily or waste time when our true motivation comes from working out of reverence to our true and perfect master. Likewise, we will not overwork ourselves so much to misalign our relational priorities that the master in heaven has made so clear. So just like Aaron pointed out, the order in which Paul kind of lists out these relationships is important. Unfortunately, we spend probably most of our time at work, but work is the third, third priority on the list of relationships. They put your spouse and your kids 
far beyond your relationships at work. So when we, when we submit to our, the leadership of our true master, he's not going to ask us so much to get those out of line, to misalign the relational priorities that he set up for us. So some of us have a tendency to work until we, need, we feel like everything's under control and that we've got it all you know, wrapped up. But some of us need to wrap it up so that we can get home to our families and children. But the important thing here is that a right-centered identity focused on working unto the Lord out of reverence for him will cure both of these tendencies. So Paul kind of sums it up for the employees in verses 7 and 8. So verses 7 and 8 say, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. When we are empowered to serve the Lord, and our identity is his view of our effort, the opinions of people fade away. So when we are empowered to serve the Lord and our, um, and our identity is in his view of our effort, the opinions of people fade away. The negative words and the positive words from people no longer matter. We neither work for their approval nor do we get beaten down with disapproval. We can trust that whatever is good that we do will not go unrewarded. We can trust that whatever good we do will not go unrewarded. This is the promise that he makes at the end of verse 8. Verse 9 transitions to the viewpoint of the employer to employee relationship. So, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. <clears throat> so when, um, in this verse, Paul really starts off by calling the employers to the same standard he calls the employees. So he starts off by saying, do not threaten them. That's his first expectation of employers. So in my experience, when working with a wide variety of supervisors and observing the culture created within a company, it becomes very clear where the focus is very quickly. It doesn't take long to see where a culture's focus is. Um, <clears throat> So it's easy to see when someone or a business is most concerned with results. So I, I've worked for two different companies, and I've kind of experienced kind of a, a range in which the culture is in regards to this. Um, every company needs to have standards in terms of meeting results, but some companies and some people have a higher view of results and how they are accomplished than others. 
So <clears throat> the style of being concerned of of um, being concerned with results is um, this style of leadership characterizes itself in many ways. So this style of leadership often looks like a top-down approach to leadership. So that kind of looks like do what I say because I'm your boss. Do what I say because I'm your boss. That's all the reason you need. Um, it also looks like ultimatums that are given. So this will be done at this exact time. No excuses. It shows up in the way that managers sign up for project deadlines that are unrealistic, but just expects more out of their team. So in the upfront planning portion, how, are, how is the manager protecting their team? So by no means does this mean that a manager or employer should not care about results. I mean, one of the most crucial needs that any employee has is that they have a job right? They want to have a job. They want to continue to work. They want to continue to get a paycheck so they can support their family and pay for their mortgage and all of these things. So the number one need for any employee is to have a job. So to not get results is not an option. Obviously, we're working together towards that end. The question lies more at the heart of how those results were reached. So how was Christ reflected in the employer's leadership? Um, so that's like a really important thing. So how does your heart as an employer um, reflect Christ in your leadership? A much less common version of a leader is, is leadership that's more concerned with the absolute needs of the individuals working on the team or the company. Um, so this flips the top-down approach on its head. It, Jesus first sets the example as the ultimate servant before being raised up to the point of an ultimate master. So Jesus sets the example as an ultimate servant before he is raised to the point of being the ultimate master. He spent all of his time meeting the needs of those that were lower than him. He desired to understand the health and desires of people's hearts. He was not concerned with performance. He knew that a heart motivated to serve would exceed expectations over a forced behavior to meet a performance expectation. So God, the king of the universe, humbled himself and made himself a man. He submitted himself to every aspect of being a man, even to the point of death. So, little side thing here. This kind of reminded me of, like, the show Undercover Boss. Have you ever seen that show? So, like, Undercover Boss is kind of a neat premise for a show. But, um, like, the CEO becomes, like, the fry cook. You know? The CEO works the assembly line. He dresses in their clothes. He, he acts like them. He is expected to perform like them. And he enters into their shoes to understand the world from their point of view. I thought that was really cool. Like, I was like, oh, that's kind of a neat premise for a show. What CEO is like, you know, typically does that. But even like in this show, 
it's kind of different the way that some CEOs react and other CEOs react, people, so on and so forth. Sometimes they enter into situations and they're shocked at what they see. They're shocked at the behavior of the people that are working for them. And they can't get past that behavior. They can't get past the fact that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing or, you know, that there's disciplines for actions that, that you know, in that way. Um, but some, some uh, bosses are able to see past that and see why, why is this this way? Why is this the culture that we've created? How am I not supporting and providing for the needs of my people? Sometimes they're pleasantly surprised. They get down there and it's, oh, wow, these people really serve. These people really know what they're doing and they really care. So um, most of the time, though, that show kind of ends with learning something and how to better serve the people in their company. So it kind of ends with some sort of dialogue between them and an employee bringing it to light that they're the CEO. This is my true identity. I'm the CEO. What? Like, uh, so, but they get an opportunity to talk to people on how they've impacted them during that time and how the, the steps that they're going to take to help make sure that their environment improves, that they're going to meet the needs of their everyday life in a better way. So that's kind of like a real small, like, snippet, kind of worldly view of, like, like very non, um, not exact way, but a kind of a picture of God entering into this world, like our CEO, our master, making himself a servant so that he could be the best example of what it looks like to serve in that capacity. So really, you know, one point coming from this is serve your employees in a way that um, represents how God first served you. So serve your employees in a way that best represents the way God first served you. Do not view yourself as superior, but as equals. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. So in the middle of verse 9 there is, Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. This is like the statement that levels the playing field. God served you first. He made himself a servant led a perfect example, and was risen to by his father to be the ultimate master. And he is the master over all things, that all tongues, all knees will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. So whether you're an employer or an employee, we're all equals. We're all at the point of serving our master above ourselves, serving our heavenly master. Where the employee wants to serve their master just as Christ served his master, the employer wants to serve his employee just as 
just as Jesus served the people below him and cared for those that were lower than him. So as we wrap the study of this passage up, um, we can live in the truth that whether we fall into an employee or employer categories, we can work wholeheartedly unto the Lord out of reverence for him. We cannot diminish how much of our testimony exists in a way we reflect Christ on a daily basis at work. Because of how much time we spend there, we can't diminish those relationships. That is like the number one place that I get to represent Christ outside of my family. And unfortunately, I spend more time there than I do with my family. But that's how important it is that we continue to be empowered by Christ to do that. So they get a chance to see us at our worst and our best because of how many situations we find ourselves in, because of the stresses that we face. Um, Whether it's in good times or bad, the people that we work around get to see us at our best and our worst. So what is that going to look like? In the midst of stress and deadlines, we can be confident in our identity of being servants to Christ first and foremost. So even though things might come like, you know, rolling down the hill towards you, and you just feel like you're juggling and catching as much as you can, you feel like you're working hard, but maybe it doesn't feel like it's enough. We can trust that we serve Christ first and foremost, and that no good thing becomes unrewarded from him. So when recognition for your work the things that you're doing behind the scenes doesn't come. When it seems like all the focus is on your shortcomings, when times are smooth at work and it seems easy, we find strength in our weaknesses because we know that Christ is magnified in those moments. We find strength in our weaknesses because we know that Christ is magnified in those moments. So we can trust that he has made much He is made much of because of how we serve him and how we serve others. So out of reverence for Christ, serve wholeheartedly unto the Lord, whether you're an employee or an employer. That's all I really have this morning. Um, I'll pray for us here. Dear Father, thank you so much for the truth in your word, that you continue to um, teach us and show us how um, you are the example to look towards, that we have nothing but what you give us and what you've given us on the cross. You are our ultimate master, but that, be, that came out of your ultimate sacrifice. And because of that, we are empowered to serve you first and foremost because you deserve all the credit and all the glory for that, God. We love you so much, and it's with this truth we ask that you empower us to leave here, um, strengthen to serve our coworkers, our peers, people that we're next to every day, regardless of, you know, the payback, regardless of what we get out of it. It's in your glorious name we pray. Amen.